0: Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. When I was little, there was someone always by my side. Can you hear me? Yes, perfectly. My sister Joanna and I are twins. Growing up, we were mirror images of each other. We shared a room. We finished each other's sentences. We made our own version of the Babysitter's Club. We were both obsessed with reading and biking, and so I married an axe murderer. It could have been easy for our own identities to get tangled up in each other's. But Joanna and I have always been different. I ran, she danced. I loved science, she wanted to be a writer. The fact that people mixed us up made us more fiercely ourselves. After college, I went to medical school and moved to California. Jo went to New York, where she started writing for magazines like Glamour and New York Mag. So we've spent most of our adulthoods on opposite sides of the country. Like all sisters, we have ups and downs, but we're still super close. We talk to each other almost every day. It's so weird to do a podcast with you because I feel like it's one other version of like during the pandemic, families interact in all these new weird ways, you know, like family game night on Zoom, which we never would have done before. Like, oh, of course we're doing a podcast. Why would we not do this ridiculous (laughs) thing?
1: (laughs) It's funny too, because it's very similar to just talking on the phone
0: with you, which I've done like 8 million times. Joanna's had a blog for years. In 2007, she started A Cup of Joe, J-O, like her nickname. Our younger brother, Nick, came up with that. It's a women's lifestyle site with everything, style and design, food, books, relationships. My personal favorite is her series called Beauty Uniform, which on the surface is about hair and makeup, but ends up with really intimate interviews with all kinds of women. How do you choose what to write about? One of my old
1: editors at New York Magazine said, You have to be really careful about something that is magazine interesting versus like interesting interesting, because often you'll pitch a story that's like five ways to blah, 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 blah. And it's a great title maybe, but it's not actually interesting to people's lives. And people really hunger for those types of real conversations, I think. So it's a mix of, as you say, like important topics, like we had an amazing essay years ago about a woman who had a stillborn son. And then... Obviously, you've written about like writing condolence notes and grief and loss. We also just want it to feel like a fun place to come as well, like an escape from the day-to-day grind. So then we'll do like fun stuff like celebrity crushes or travel fantasies and cute things
0: kids say and, and kind of more happy-go-lucky things. In 2007, blogging was still pretty new, but it was the way people expressed themselves online. And there was Joanna using her own life as inspiration, Her readership grew and grew, and in 2010, she wrote about giving birth to her first son. She left her magazine job soon after, marking the beginning of her life as a full-time professional blogger. The next year, her site was named one of Forbes' top 10 lifestyle websites for women. And today, Cup of Joe is an online magazine with a team of writers and a million readers a month. But in the middle of it, she's still Joe. Longtime readers have watched her move through dating in New York, to marriage, and now motherhood. She's built a career on her personal story. There's power in that relatability. But she's had to figure out, how do you walk the line between authenticity and oversharing? How do you write your own narrative? And when the truth is dark or painful or messy, how do you balance honesty with self-preservation? Joanna's taught me so much about all of that, I couldn't help sharing her with you. I'm Dr. Lucy Kalanithi, and this is Gravity, a show about what becomes possible when we look at hardships differently. So, Joe is a relationship builder, a connector, and Cup of Joe has become a place for connection, too. That's Joanna's favorite part about it. The best parts about running the site? Definitely
1: the relationship with the readers. I mean, I feel like it's so incredible, like even during pandemic, feeling like I have this constant conversation with all these different really smart and funny people. And that's just grown through the years. And it's funny because we know some commenters by their handle. So you'll start to be like, oh, that's so what like Sasha would say. And like, it's so, you know, you know these different people and it's really cute. I think of it as a conversation place for women. There's such a community feel to it that, amazes me and surprises me almost every day, and how I'll write a post about some topic, but then the comments will take on a total life of their own. So it's a really cool place just to have these amazing conversations.
0: But of course, it's the internet. There are negative comments too. They show up nearly every day. It took Joanna a long time to develop a tolerance for the meanness, a lot of tearful phone calls to our mom, A lot of days spent walking around with what she calls that punched-in-the-gut feeling. Her work and her personal life are braided together, so criticism of the blog felt like criticism of her. But over time, Joanna has become okay with it all. Well, mostly okay with it all. She holds on to two key ideas that help her withstand that judgment.
1: The first part is that you truly cannot please everybody, and that sounds so pat, but it's really true. Like, in anybody's life, you can't please everybody. Um, so I used to think about Michelle Obama and how she's like objectively so incredible, but that she had so many negative comments thrown her way. And like so many people saying these things about her, even Michelle Obama will get this kind of criticism. And so I would just think about her sometimes, not saying I'm Michelle Obama, but just like if it can happen to her, it can happen to anybody. And then also just the idea that you can learn from some of it, like, Obviously, there are going to be some trolls and haters who are just going to, like, say something mean. But when it's somebody who is a close reader and they're saying something critical, but that makes sense, then I used to really beat myself up about that kind of thing. But now I really think of it, I just think of, like, the phrase, I'm learning, and then I can, like, really take in their critique and like change it for next time. And I feel like we're on the same side. Like they're helping the site get better. I'm Mm. happy to have the site get better.
0: Did mom say anything about like this issue? Like did mom say anything helpful along the
1: way? (laughs) Mom has said so many sweet and helpful things that I actually have a folder in my email called mom chats or mom pep talks or something. (laughs) I can go to it if I need a little pick me up.
0: She does a lot of perspective taking. Like it's sort of like, well, here's what might be going on in their lives. And it's like, it's not anything to do with you. It's not actually about you. That is mom's
1: biggest thing. Like one of her biggest things I feel like she's she's tried to teach us is that people are entrenched in an entire life of their own. And if somebody's like cuts you off on the road or is like grouchy at a store, it like so rarely has anything to do with you. And that can happen on the internet too. Because people might leave a negative comment on something and I'll reply to them and be like, I hear what you're saying. And then they'll write back and sometimes we'll say, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like in a really bad mood or like I just like had a terrible day and lashed out. And so you do see it actually happen in real life.
0: Now, not everybody has a popular eponymous website, but with so much of our lives online now, each of us has to untangle our public and private personas. How do you know which strand to pull?
1: I think it's up to each person how much you share. If you have a site or on Instagram or on Facebook or just in conversation with people, no one would ever say that you have to share like every detail of your life or every thought that passes through your mind. So I think it's just about what you're comfortable with. Personally, I'm a real open book, um, but I know that others aren't. And so for me, I'm happy to share things that might feel private for another person. So I'm really happy to talk about my marriage and parenting and doubts and and just like struggles that I've gone through, like mental health issues and, and things like that.
0: For Joanna, she draws the line at writing private details about her kids, especially as they get older. It's their life, she says. And I love that idea, that as long as you're authentic in what you do share, you can feel authentic overall. Keeping some things to yourself isn't fake or phony or dishonest. People aren't entitled to more from you or about you than you feel comfortable giving. Joanna has spent much of her adult life navigating that division between public and private. And I think in some ways, that boundary has actually helped her to find her own sense of self, her own narrative. Just like when we were little and we claimed our own identities from each other, Joanna's able to do the same with her work. She's a writer, a wife, a mother, a sister, a daughter, She's a community builder. No matter what goes up online, these things she knows to be true. We all tell ourselves stories about who we are and where we wanna go. And as we figure that out, how do we hold on to ourselves while integrating the good and the bad, our biggest embarrassments, our smallest victories? All of that belongs in our personal narrative, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. Now it's time for a quick ad break. We'll be back in a minute. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, an online counseling platform. In this show, we ask a lot of questions about how to handle hardship and what we can gain from reframing stories of struggle. Everyone deserves space to explore questions like that in a safe and supported environment and therapy is one way to get that space. With BetterHelp, you'll be able to get connected with a licensed therapist perfectly matched to your needs for professional counseling done securely online. This service is available for clients worldwide, wherever you are, whatever you're facing. Financial aid is available. As a Gravity listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com gravitypod. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Welcome back to this episode of Gravity. So, Joanna has a couple more mantras that help guide her during day-to-day ups and downs that help her cope. Here's one I've stolen for myself. I've used it
1: constantly, and I've, my husband uses it all the time, like I tell my friends. Uh, this thing called the Grand Canyon trick. And... Basically, you can picture like any huge space. It doesn't have to be the Grand Canyon. It could be like an ocean or or a beautiful valley. And then you start thinking of your entire life in it. So you drop in like the day you were born and then you have that like phase you went through when you were obsessed with horses when you were little. You start thinking about like all these different parts of your life, past trips, like relationships you had. Just like drop them all in there. Then think about your future. So maybe like a child you might have in the future or a relationship you might have in the future, a job. Throw it all in there. So you have like your huge life that's spread out in this giant Grand Canyon and then you take whatever like dumb problem that you're worrying about in the moment, like that you're talking about at therapy, which could be like your boss was snappy, you're worried about your job, you had, you know, a negative comment on Instagram or you gotten a little spat with like your sister-in-law, whatever it might be, and you put it into the Grand Canyon and it's not to like... You're still validating your feeling. You're allowed to feel how you feel. But it just is such an incredible way to get perspective. Like in my giant life, this it, this mm. little thing is going to be fine. And it has helped me like crazy much in my life.
0: Mm, I love it. Are there other mantras you've found helpful? Yeah, it's so
1: funny because I would never think that I'm a mantra person. But I have a lot of mantras that have really been so great in my life. Uh, let's see. One was from Amy Poehler's, uh, memoir, but it's good for her, not for me. And she in particular was talking about parenting and how one of her friends was like, did home birth and was like, a she called her like a goddamn baby champion or something like that. And (laughs) She like went into that, Amy Poehler herself, like went into the hospital and had an epidural and she was like, it's okay. They're both okay. Like good for her, not for me. And I've thought about that a lot during parenting. Like whenever you're starting to think like, oh, they're so crafty or, oh, they cook these beautiful dinners. It's like, you know, good for her, not for me. Like I'm doing it my own way and they're all great. You can, you know, forge your own path. I like that one a lot.
0: Framing matters so much. Um, like I always think about this parenting thing with Katie. I don't know if you use this thing called the power of yet. And it's like, it's about growth mindset. And if a little child or even an adult is like, I'm not good at this, um, you can add the word yet. So it's like, I'm not good at this yet. And it completely changes the whole thing and the whole tonality of it. Those mantras help. Because of Joanna, I have a piece of paper taped in my fridge that says perfection isn't the point. But of course, sometimes things get harder than those day-to-day troubles, and it's more difficult to reframe things, to keep hold of who you are. For Joanna, that's happened when she's gone through depression. She's shared a bit of her experience with postpartum depression on her site, though at first she was very scared to hit the publish button.
1: And it felt back then, I mean, that was 11 years ago, so that felt like... Nobody was really talking about as much back then, but that seemed very like verboten and like potentially scandalous to talk about. But I think like, as mom used to always say, if you can even like imagine it, somebody else has thought it, like nobody is alone in what they're thinking or feeling. Like, you know, somebody out there is feeling the same way. So for me to just try to write it like as specifically as possible and as honestly as possible, then I just hope that somebody else will recognize themselves in that and not feel alone. And for me, it's been really profound because I just remember when I wrote about my first experience with postpartum depression, that's actually the only big post I've written about depression, um, although I've gone through three depressions, but my first one that I wrote about is the first time that I had been depressed and was very disorienting. And I wrote about it after I had started feeling better. And I remember going to push publish on the post and I was like shaking. I felt like I was going to throw up. And I kept thinking, people, I was so worried that people who were following my site because I was telling them like, oh, you should watch this movie or you should make this recipe. We're going to be like, why would we ever follow this person? Like, she's just such a mess. Like, why would we ever listen to what she has to say? It felt incredibly like, a fall from grace.
0: Oh, like, oh, that's interesting. Not, you weren't worried that they would think you were being inauthentic or something. Initially, you were worried they actually would think because you weren't perfect, they shouldn't listen to you anymore. Yeah,
1: not that I like ever thought anybody thought I was perfect um, because I would, you know, joke about just everyday life mishaps. But this felt so big that I thought maybe people would say like, oh, it's too much. But the crazy thing is like once I pressed publish like comments just started flooding in. Like we just couldn't keep up with them. Like there were just so many from people saying they either had postpartum depression, had gone through other depressions, were going through it at the time, had other mental health issues, had other health issues in general. It was just like this overwhelming response that I had completely not expected that just confirmed that it's true that like whatever you're going through, like people, are out there who are going through the same thing.
0: I just want to pause here for a second. We're going to talk about how tough depression can be. If you need a break or you want to fast forward, that's okay. We'll be sharing some support resources at the end of our episode and in our show notes. In the fall of 2019, Joanna went through another episode of depression. This one felt different. I was actually surprised when she said she wanted to talk about it during this recording, in part because it had happened so recently, and in part because it was a level of pain I'd never seen her experience before. But she wanted to share that experience here, in case it would help a listener, and I really hope it does.
1: Yeah, it was the worst time, Um, yeah, it was definitely the most severe. I didn't really talk about it, I mentioned it twice on Instagram. Um, once as I was kind of heading into it, being like, I feel a little shaky. And then another time after it had ended. Yeah, that one was because of a medication change. I'm a big believer in medication when you need it. And I think anti-anxiety and anti-depression medication can really be totally life-changing, but there was a hiccup in my medication plan. And so I kind of launched into this very intense depression for fall of 2019. So it's been,
0: it's been a little over a year. I, like, have tears, like, pouring down my face. It was, like, we don't have to, like, include this, but it was, like, so awful to, I mean, not that it was, like, about me, but it was so awful during that time because I just remember thinking, like, thinking about you all the time and then thinking, like, this minute is really horrible for her. And then, like, a little while later, I'd be, like, this minute is, like, interminable and impossible it really like, felt oh like that. It's hard for oh, me to talk God. about,
1: honestly, without crying. Like, I'm starting to tear yeah. up a little bit, but I'm going to just, like, keep my, keep my walls up. Um, yeah, it is really hard to think about it without, like, bursting into tears. It was definitely the hardest time in my life by far. It was different from my other two times going through a depression. With Toby, it started kind of slowly when I was weaning him from breastfeeding. With Anton, it started a couple weeks after he was born. I took sort of a slide down into it whereas this last time it was virtually overnight where i felt normal and then i just woke up feeling off and by the time i went to bed that night i was basically having like this like overnight panic attack where i was just sort of lying in bed all night awake just losing my mind and it lasted for over 3 months it's really hard not to start crying but it was so excruciating. It was unlike anything I've experienced before, even my other two depressions, which, which were, were definitely like, clinical depressions. But this one, um, yeah, it was just excruciating. Every moment was excruciating. There was no relief at any point of the day.
0: Did it, um, did it help you to, that you knew what it was? Like, I almost feel like it made it, it somehow scared you to know what it was, is that true? It, It's a, such a
1: funny thing with depression where you can know intellectually that it's a depression, but that can't help you pull out of it. Uh, you, In a way, you'd think if you know it's depression, then you can just kind of push it to the side because you know what it is. You know it's not your actual life. You know you're fine. But because it, y- your brain is depressed, there's no other way to feel. You're very much convinced that your life is meaningless, your relationships have no connection, you are not good at anything you try to do. Um, I kept thinking to myself, like, how did I get here? How did I get into this life? Which is so crazy because I actually love my life in real life. But at the time, I was just like, I just felt like it was perplexing to me that I had like ended up here. And it was just so hard to get through each day. It's like every moment it was, it almost felt like every day it was, my leg was getting sawed off. Like I likened that to a therapist that I saw. Um, I like would cry through every therapy session, like in, oh my gosh, it was like out of a movie. But um, I I was like, my leg is being sawed off every day and I cannot stop it. And I remember one. I saw a bunch of different therapists um, just trying to find anybody or anything that could help. And, one therapist, I said, I'm so worried that I'm going to leave your office and go home and just feel really, really terrible, like sometimes I would kind of bottom out. And he said, well, what's the worst thing that would happen if, if you did? And I said, I was like, that is the worst thing that could happen. That's like the worst thing I can possibly think of. I would rather do anything else or feel anyway else. I remember reading something one time that said, that somebody who was depressed like climbed under the covers and pulled all the covers over her head and was like really tucked in and then suddenly like the demon was like, but I'm in here. And it really felt like that to me. It's like you cannot,
0: you cannot escape your mind. Depression hijacks the narrative of your life. It takes away your sense of meaning and self. It makes all the arrows point in the wrong direction. That's what makes it so hard to get out of bed or concentrate or even function. I keep thinking about how Joanna made that distinction. In real life, I loved my life. In real life, I loved my life. I think Andrew Solomon's described it, it, I kind of love this, he says, um, the opposite of depression is not happiness, it's vitality.
1: Oh, that totally rings true.
0: Isn't that beautiful and like, piercing? That is so beautiful. If you're listening to this and thinking, oh my god, I know exactly what she was going through, you're not alone, though you might have felt that way because we still just don't talk about it out loud enough. But in the United States, over 17 million adults experience depression in a given year. It's the leading cause of disability worldwide, according to the World Health Organization. And we're only just starting to understand the pandemic's effect on all of this. The treatment for depression is often a patchwork, of therapy, medication, exercise, sleep. The path looks a little different for everyone. It may take time and even be frustrating, but treatments work. For me,
1: all three times that I went through these depressions, medication was a huge lifesaver for me. You know, everybody is different, but for me, it helped so, so much. And sometimes, I think people worry that medication will make them less of themselves or put them in a fog. For me, my experience has been that it makes me so much more myself. It makes me who who I feel like I really am. It makes me think more clearly. It just takes away the sort of constant like hum of anxiety or um, you know these feelings of depression that I've gone through. So I have been meaning to write a post on Cup of Joe for a long time I just called an ode to my anti-anxiety
0: medication. For Joanna, the path out also relied on therapy and time. One phrase she found particularly helpful then, this is not your life, this will end. This is not your life, this will end. I remember repeating that to her over and over on the phone, in texts. When I came to visit, I said it while sitting on her couch, stroking her hair. Our family just tried to sit with her and keep saying it until those words started to make sense to her and she could find her way back. Sometimes Joe imagined ending her life and that's when being there and reminding her this is not your life was more urgent than ever.
1: That was like really really helpful to hear and just hearing that it's a just knowing that it's like a physical condition it's not like something you're doing wrong, or you're not trying, to, you're not trying hard enough, or you know, you're you not thinking about it the right way. It's like actually something like physically is happening to your brain. That runner, Alexei Pappas, who's been through depressions, said that her doctor described it as a scratch on her brain, which I thought was
0: like a good way to think about it. And sometimes you just have to wait. Even when you see a path forward, you can't rush to it. So you just sit together and wait you listen, you help cook dinner or pick the kids up from school, you watch sitcoms, and you keep saying, I love you, it'll be okay. Both as your sister and as a doctor, like watching you go through that and then feeling, like it was very painful to watch you go through it. And at the same time, I was 100% certain that you would feel better. And I think you were something like zero to 1% certain that you would feel better. And I felt like, I did guarantee you multiple times that you would feel better. And I think it's hard to make someone a guarantee in either of those roles, but I felt like I could.
1: When you're going through depression, you know, par- part of that feeling is feeling very hopeless. And so, as much as somebody can tell you that you are going to feel better, it's very hard to hold on to that. The one thing that did make me feel somewhat better is just the idea that I had gone through these two depressions before. My brain felt so broken that I couldn't imagine it functioning like it had in the past, but just knowing that it had kind of, quote unquote, broken these other two times and then gone back to its sort of normal state, then I felt like that was just the tiniest bit like
0: thing to cling to after three months of an intense depression joanna finally did see a little light in the distance a couple months later she managed to climb all the way out it was such a relief to be happy and thriving again you know looking back on my own experience of that time i actually felt really disoriented that fall when joanna was so depressed I hadn't realized how destabilizing it would be for me when she was sick. I mean, we fight and everything, too. But somehow the world made much less sense to me without Joanna being okay in it. She makes me feel braver. I'm brave sometimes because she needs me to be, and other times because she shows me how. Most of all, when my husband Paul died of cancer, and that grief felt like only an ending, I couldn't reframe it as a different beginning or even a continuation, but Joanna reminded me that my story, after Paul, could go on in new ways. She saw a future for me, even when I couldn't. But she knew that required reimagining everything. After Paul died, she called in her friends and about a million favors to make over my apartment. How did you know that it would be so helpful?
1: Well, I mean, it did seem at the time like you were still very much living in the house that you and Paul had created together. I mean, his clothes were still in the closet, all the decorating choices you had made together. There was a a big um, hanging in your bedroom that was from your wedding. Like, there were just, it was so much about you guys as a couple. And I think that it is true that, like, if we're talking about narrative, like, often I think when somebody dies, that's such a end point, obviously to their life. And I think a lot of people can think of it in in the moment as like the end of the story. Like, is that the end of your story as well? Like this, this terrible thing happened and now that's where it ends for you. Whereas like in reality, your story is very much ongoing. And like, that is, you know, a really devastating part of it but your story continues and so changing your space to kind of have this fresh start that's like that part was your chapter with Paul like this part is your chapter with Katie and moving forward and I remember you saying at the time you're just like I hate being at home you came to visit and you were like I just don't want to go back like I hate being home and it's like how can how can that be helped after the makeover it was so sweet because I remember talking to you on the phone about it, and you kept being like, I feel like a fresh lady. I'm a fresh lady in my house. And you kept using the word fresh, and it was like so endearing. I'm a fresh lady watching TV and drinking wine in my house.
0: In a way, Joanna brought me back to myself, to the big Grand Canyon of my life. She helped me understand that loving and missing Paul is a river that runs through it. Just like those episodes of depression form basins or cliffs in hers, or some other geology metaphor. But the Grand Canyon is very big. Those losses leave marks, but they don't define us. I feel so lucky to have had her by my side for the biggest ups and downs, and for what she's taught me about narrative, on paper and in life. Because we all have to author our own paths through hardship through the mix of joy and pain that comes our way. I wanna ask about happiness versus meaning, like whether you think about happiness or maybe like the point of life differently from how you used to, like when you hadn't gone through depression.
1: So seven years ago, I read this quote by Hugh McKay, and he described this concept of happiness versus wholeness. And his whole argument is that People have become, especially in America, very obsessed with happiness and what are three things you're grateful for today and like, tell, tell me like, what's happy in your life? Are you happy? I remember even having that feeling going to college. People would always say, are you happy? Are you happy at college? And I found it like very stressful because it's like, I think I'm doing okay, but I don't know if I describe myself as like skipping down the street or something. You know, it's like there's something about that like, best day ever that feels very pressureful. And so his whole thing was that it's actually wholeness that you're after. And so that also includes, you know, frustration and sadness, um, disappointment, as well as like happiness um, and excitement. And so he said at the end of the um, quote, I'd like just for a year to have a moratorium on the word happiness and to replace it with the word wholeness. Ask yourself, is this contributing to my wholeness? And if you're having a bad day, it is. Which I think is so great to think about that like, just all these different parts of your life are like worth something and you know can and should be felt. I thought that was really great. That, that really changed my idea about happiness.
0: No one else owns our story or the timeline of our recovery. But as we each try to imagine our way into a narrative that suits us, there are times that we just can't. We can't see it. We're too tired or angry or scared or sad. And all of those are okay and normal So that's when we do it for each other. The people we love hold us up, point us back to our narrative. They'll carry your story when you can't, they'll repeat it back to you, they'll point the way until you believe them and go. And that's how our strongest, deepest connections form with each other. From trading bravery and vulnerability back and forth between you, from authenticity, even when it feels scary, whether it's with your twin sister or with your community online. Joanna might write more extensively about her depression someday, once she has a bit more distance from it. If she does, I imagine it'll have the same effect as the other times she's shared the harder parts of herself. People will recognize their own stories in her writing and reach out to connect or ask for help. And like she'd tell them now, there's a path forward waiting for each of them. In every episode of Gravity, we have a poem. It helps me really let in new ways of thinking and feeling about life in all of its dimensions. In this episode, you heard from Joanna about the lessons she's learned from our mom, Jean, about coping and empathy. But our dad, Jeremy, has taught us so much too, especially about what it means to show up when someone's struggling. He's one of those people who always picks up the phone or arrives on the doorstep. So we wanted to invite him to read this episode's poem, And of course, he said yes. This poem is Our Union by Hafiz, about looking out for someone you love. Joanna, thank you so much. This is for you. Our union is like this. You feel cold, so I reach for a blanket to cover our shivering feet. A hunger comes into your body, so I run to my garden and start digging potatoes. You asked for a few words of comfort and guidance. And I quickly kneel by your side, offering you a whole book as a gift. You ache with loneliness one night so much you weep. And I say, here is a rope, tie it around me. Hafiz will be your companion for life. If you're struggling with depression, please know that you're not alone. If you feel like you're in crisis, you can text 741-741 or call 800-273-TALK to speak to someone at the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Please check out our show notes for more resources. Thanks so much to BetterHelp for sponsoring today's episode. We all deserve to be heard and to have space to process our hardships, whether it's facing depression or loss, relationship stress, or processing anger or trauma. BetterHelp is equipped to handle your needs. With BetterHelp, you'll be paired with a licensed professional therapist to meet with privately and securely from your own home, from anywhere around the world. Financial aid is available. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Next week, stick around after our episode to hear me in conversation with one of these amazing counselors. As a listener to Gravity, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com GravityPod. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com GravityPod. Thank you for joining me and my sister, Joanna Goddard, in this episode of Gravity. Gravity is produced by Maddie Foley and Lindsay Cradwell, with help from Taylor Williamson for Wonder Media Network. Original music is by Rachel Wardell. Rika Murthy is our editor. Jenny Kaplan is our executive producer. You can follow us on Twitter at WMNmedia and on Instagram at WMN.media. And you can follow me, Lucy, on Twitter at frocketgirlmd. Please take time to share Gravity with a friend and to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much.